Hello and welcome to the 38th episode of the iPhone Life podcast. I'm Donna Cleveland, Editor-in-Chief of iPhone Life magazine. And I'm Sarah Kingsbury, Senior Web Editor of iPhoneLife.com. Each week we talk to you about the best apps, great gear, and current events in the iOS world. This week's theme is back to school. So in preparation for the beginning of the school year, we'll be discussing iOS apps and gear for the classroom, and we'll also talk to a high school English teacher about how he uses iPhones and iPads with his students. But first, a message from our sponsor, Videoblocks. In a high-definition world, low-quality video production sticks out like a sore thumb. To improve video quality, you need access to high-quality effects, clips, and shots. Videoblocks gives you access to unlimited downloads of stock footage and effects for just $149 a year. Go to videoblocks.com to sign up. We also want to take a moment to talk to you about our tip of the day newsletter. When you sign up, we send you tips on how to save time and get the most out of your iDevices. Our tip of the day is a great way to learn more ways you can use your iPhone. Go to iphonelife.com slash daily tips to sign up. And we're going to share with you our favorite tip of the week. And that's how to make night shift mode less orange. And I believe, Sarah, didn't you come up with this tip? Yeah, I, you know, I really like night shift mode. Sometimes I feel before night shift mode, I felt kind of like my iPhone would stab me in the eyes if I was in a dark room and I looked at my iPhone. Yeah. But it does make things very orange. So if you prefer to maybe dial that back and go a few shades, you know, back toward the Mm -hmm. blue end of the spectrum, uh, this is how to do it. So if you want to do this, you just go into your settings app on your iPhone or iPad, go to display and brightness, and then select night shift. And there, there'll be a little, basically... Um, slider? A slider, right. That's the word I was looking for, that you can see a preview of what it looks like as you use the slider and then see what color you like the best. Granted, you probably don't want to get rid of all of the orange because that's kind of the point. Right. <laughs> but you can find kind of a happy medium there. I also want to tell you about our iPhone Life Insider program before we get into all of the news of the week. So iPhone Life Insider is our premium subscription. You'll get access to the daily tips that we were telling you about, but also a one minute video version of the tip that will walk you through exactly how it works. We'll also give you access to our in-depth video guides. So our latest guide is Siri, and we'll walk you through how to set up the feature and all of the coolest things you can do with Siri that you're probably not taking advantage of. So go to iphonelife.com slash insider to get that. You also get a digital subscription to the magazine, and uh, our full archive of past issues, and also ask an editor, where you can ask any of your specific iOS-related questions to Sarah, who will answer them for you. So Sarah, do you want to share with us an insider question? Sure. Um, A recent question was from a reader who wanted to know, now that we can lock notes, um, he said, is it safe to store passwords in a locked note? And does Apple have the ability to look at passwords in a locked note? Um, And so my answer is, you know, I actually couldn't find any information about whether or not Apple can access your locked notes. Um, We do know that Apple, for instance, can access the information you have on iCloud, which they have done sometimes for law enforcement. For instance, in the case of the San Bernardino shootings, they gave the FBI access to the shooter's Mm -hmm. iCloud, the information that was in the shooter's iCloud. But on the other hand, a locked note is locked with a passcode and a potentially touch ID. And if you access it from iCloud, you have to enter the passcode. So it's unclear uh, whether Apple could access those. 
but I don't believe they're encrypted. The only way that those could be encrypted would, would be if you were to do an iTunes backup and back up your iPhone on your computer mm-hmm. and then choose to encrypt that. Um, so my recommendation would be not to do it. Um, I have to confess, I store my, my uh, Wi-Fi password and like my cable provider's access mm-hmm. password in, my, in a locked note just because I tend to text those to visitors to my home and it's handy. Um, but for any really important password, you should really either use iCloud Keychain or you should sign up for a password service, like 1Password uh, is a very popular one around this office, um, and really save notes. I think the purpose of locking your notes is really so that if someone else is looking at your phone, they can't access certain things. It's not re- right. it's really not like meant to be a super private, encrypted thing. For that, you have to choose something else. I know. And and one thing I uh, one comment I have about this is I feel like it's much less likely that Apple is going to have, you know, a warrant to search your phone, but also you might just forget to lock your note. That's like much more likely and it takes it takes I think 15 minutes to auto lock itself. If right. you close the app and open it again, if you completely close it out, it'll lock itself. But right. if you just put it in the background running, it and, won't. And here's an issue I discovered when I was researching this question is that if you decide to change the password on your notes, it doesn't automatically update the password on your other notes. So you have to remember those passwords and go to a password that has the other note and choose to update it for all of your your locked notes. And so you could end up locking yourself out. Yeah. That's one thing. I mean, so you should always have Touch ID enabled for your, your locked notes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then another possibility is say you want something to be super private in your notes. You could choose to enable the on my iPhone account for in the notes settings. Um, but then if you lose your iPhone, you've lost that note forever. It's not an iCloud and that's not exactly a good idea for anything that you would like to maybe continue to have access to like passwords. Great points. So we hope that helps our insider this week. Uh, and uh, if you have any questions, go to iphonelife.com insider to learn more about the program and email insidersupport at iphonelife.com to, if you have any questions or concerns about the program. Uh, and moving on to news this week. So we're getting pretty close to the iPhone 7 announcement, which is expected to be early September, possibly the Wednesday after Labor Day. And uh, so we're going to be talking a lot about the iPhone 7 leading up to that. And that's pretty much what we're going to focus on today. Every week we've been seeing new updated rumors. Some of them are ones we've been hearing about for months and some of them are a little bit of new. So uh, this week we're seeing more rumors about the dual camera right, on the iPhone 7. And uh, we talked about this a little bit last time, I think. But one thing I hadn't fully understood is that it would be taking the dual lenses would be taking two different shots that would capture different color brightness right. and then would merge them together so you'd get better color. I have actually noticed that the iPhone compared to some Samsung phones looks a little bit more muted. And right. I don't know. I mean, some people actually think it's more true to life, so they would prefer that over Samsung's phones anyway. But I was kind of excited about the idea of having a little more. Right. But is it in all the new models of phone? I thought it would just be maybe in the larger model. Like the 7 Plus, if that's what they call it. Oh, the dual camera. Right. Oh, I wasn't clear on that. Yes, it's unclear, I guess, whether the dual camera will happen and which models it will be available on. But um, but for any be, photographers, that's it's an exciting prospect. Right. 
And we also heard a little bit about a pressure-sensitive uh, home button. Could you tell us a little bit about that, Sarah? Right. So currently on the iPhone, um, you have to like actually physically click your home button. Yeah. Um, but according to this rumor, there's going to be like a touch-sensitive uh, home button with haptic touch, where you'll get a sort of vibrational feedback. Mm. Um, and that kind of makes sense. I've been using the iOS 10 beta, and I know you were complaining about this on your iPad, but there's like, now when you press your home button, it sort of wakes your phone up, but it doesn't automatically unlock it. You kind of have to press it again. And mm -hmm. I'm wondering if we have a phone where there's a haptic touch home button instead of the physical clicking the home button thing we have now, if maybe you'll be able to unlock it or just wake up your phone depending on the uh, pressure of your touch? Well, right now um, you can, it's a setting whether or not you can rest your finger on the home button or click it mm -hmm. to have it open. And I actually right. have mine set to click. I don't, what's, your, what's your set to? I, it's set to the same. Because I actually prefer, for some reason, I prefer clicking as, than resting to have it open. Yeah, I mean, I just like being able to wake up my phone without unlocking it. Yeah, but you think this would just give you some kind of haptic feedback that would let you know that your phone had been unlocked? I think just like with the 3D Touch, you know, you would vary the pressure of, mm -hmm. on the home button depending on whether you wanted to wake your phone or unlock it, which would make it much simpler. Yeah, and also is. now with all of the different widgets on the home, on the lock screen, there's more reason to want to stay there. So if you can control, like you want to be able to access everything on your lock screen but not open it, you could just press like... Right. And what advantage to this kind of home button that uh, we're hearing will be on the iPhone 7 is that it's less vulnerable to water getting into the phone. It, it just, it's mm. and then of course, there's also the rumor that there will no longer be the ring switch, which you can use to mute your phone. No. Yeah, I know I'm attached to it, but they've already started removing it from iPads. Yeah. I don't and, have it on the iPad Air 2. And two. then of course, you know, there's the rumor that they will be removing the headphone jack. Um, yeah, that one and, seems pretty solid, too. I've been hearing right. a lot about that. And so people are taking that as a sign that the iPhone may be significantly more water-resistant than it already is. Which, that's exciting. That would but be awesome. I have the iPad Air 2, which does not have the mute switch, and they've made it a software thing. It's in the control center if you want to mute your, your iPad. And I really don't like this. I've realized there's something um, nice about feeling like you have things under your control manually. Because yeah. so much, like, you know, your your phone's iOS can sometimes be glitchy. And especially when you're updating software, like I'm on the beta right now, it's very glitchy. And I like that there's, I can just, you know, do the hard reset on my phone using the buttons that are there. And, like, I feel like right. if they move too much in the direction of everything being software and not and removing more and more buttons, I actually don't know that I'm a fan of that. But my I problem, might be alone on that. My problem with having, having no mute switches then you have no choice but to have your control center accessible from the lock screen, which... Yeah, that's also such a good point. And I've actually sort of given up anyway because I want to be able to play music from my lock screen, and uh, mm -hmm. and so I kind of have to, but I don't love it. Uh, you know, I don't love that access that it gives to the settings of my phone. Right. I mean, you, just for privacy reasons, you mean? Yeah, I mean, it's not as bad as, I mean, here I am complaining about that, and that's nothing compared to the, like, <laughs> privacy vulnerabilities that having Siri accessible from your lock screen gives, and I totally have that. So clearly I'm being a little, you know, picky in the wrong ways, maybe. 
But I know what you mean. Like my husband really hates I always turn off his Bluetooth. I feel like I have I can't even remember now reasons for doing that, but he'll be like, Why are you messing with my settings? Are you guys sharing Bluetooth speakers? <laughs> and so you're Oh, maybe that's what it was. And so then his like phone isn't automatically connecting to his car anymore and he's wondering what's going on. He doesn't even think to check his Bluetooth. Yeah, that would probably annoy me. That too. sort of, it's that sort of thing that you might not want to have lock screen access to, to control center for <laughs> to stop people like me. <laughs> But it's so annoying when you can't connect to the speaker because someone else's phone is connected. Yeah, exactly. So I think those are pretty much the rumors that we have for now for the iPhone 7. Is there anything else you're excited about this week? I've heard a few rumors about that maybe we'll see an Apple Watch 2. Yeah, I have seen that. I'd kind of given up on it altogether just thinking that wasn't even a possibility until next spring. Right. But that would be pretty cool. Yeah, apparently. I mean, I'm skeptical because... This is the first I've really heard it, mm-hmm. and it's pretty close. But you never know. Maybe Apple will surprise us. Um, they do try to do that occasionally still. Yeah. And But I'm excited if that does happen because the Apple Watch 2 is rumored to have GPS. and Oh, that would be awesome. And have cellular capabilities, which would mean you'd probably have to pay like 10 bucks a month for a cellular connection. But on the other hand, then you could really leave your iPhone at home and, and feel good about it when you're exercising and stuff. It might be like the iPad where you can get a model that does have cellular or doesn't. Right. Yeah, I actually don't know that I would get cellular just because I'm not worried at all about Bluetooth or Wi-Fi in terms of radiation, but having the cellular connection on my wrist, I might not want. Hmm. Um, But uh, the GPS, that would be really cool too because right now um, your Apple Watch can make a good guess at exactly how far you've gone on different fitness routes. But in order to really know, you need to bring your iPhone with you. Yes, and that's kind of a pain. Yeah, it is. Um, do you are you planning on buying the iPhone seven? Um, I you know I probably will just for work reasons. <laughs> yeah, we're not with the right people to ask. If you no. if you didn't work here, would you get the iPhone seven? Do you think are any of these features ones that make you excited about the iPhone seven? The water resistance one is, but yeah. that's you know, that's really not a confirmed rumor. That's just guessing, an educated guess. Um, Probably just because my youngest child has basically destroyed her phone. It's kind of time for me to pass a phone down so she can inherit mm-hmm. her older sister's phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I might just upgrade, but I, I don't, I like the success. I feel pretty happy. I don't feel like I'm losing out on anything. I mean, I was pretty skeptical mm-hmm. even about updating to the success and, and I feel like my skepticism was borne out. It wasn't that, you know, like 3D touch wasn't that big of a deal. It's getting better with iOS 10, but oh, yeah. like it's making it a lot more useful than it was. Yeah, I'm sorry to let you know, uh, listeners, that if you don't like 3D Touch, you are out of luck because <laughs> Apple has started to force you to use 3D Touch. Yeah, I mean, it it's, really, with notifications is a great example of that. If you want to yeah. decide to mark a reminder as completed, you have to use 3D Touch now to do that. Yes, if you want to, yeah. If you want to deal with notifications, you have to use 3D Touch, and it really annoys me. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, of course, for older models, they'll have other ways to deal with things, but you can tell they're encouraging people to use 3D Touch. Yep. They're forcing us to use Force Touch. So now on to Apple Complaints and Learning of the Week. Um, this was, was it last weekend or the weekend before? We went tubing on a right. river in Iowa as a company. We talked about it a little bit uh, in our last outdoors themed podcast and since then we went and we had an awesome time except that Rayanne our associate editor 
uh, lost her iPhone in the process. So she put her phone in a Catalyst waterproof iPhone case. Which worked really well. It worked really well. Catalyst is awesome. And it's it's also, on a side note, a very like slim case. Like You would never guess that it's waterproof, but it is. And we got like awesome photos of all of us alongside the river, um, which are lost forever. Because Rand's, uh, she had it tied to her tube with a little twine and somewhere in the process at the very end of our river ride she lost her phone and so it's like at the bottom of the river somewhere so this was a bit of a cautionary tale the um the catalyst case does have a little um hole in the upper corner of it where you could put a sturdier like a lanyard yeah which i would recommend like attach it to your wrist yeah so you know it's not enough just to have a waterproof case when you're going on some water adventure. You also <laughs> want to have like some secure way to attach it to your person. And the other thing is iPhone insurance. Rand wasn't aware, but she actually did have iPhone insurance with her AT&T plan. Or she wasn't positive that she had done that because she couldn't remember. But she did, and she's she, I think she was paying something like $5 a month to insure her phone. And within two days, they sent her a new one. Granted, it was refurbished and had a couple of nicks in it. But, I mean, it was such a huge relief right. to not be out, what, $700 because you lose your, your phone on a tubing day. So um, I don't currently have insurance on my phone. I, I occasionally I add either. it for trips. Um, I, when I went to India, I had insurance for that period of time because I was at higher risk of having it lost or stolen. Um, but, yeah, this definitely made me think that that, was, that, that would be worth considering. Um, you were saying you don't have insurance either? I don't. I, Yeah, I feel like it's something you have to consider. Does it really, will it really pay for itself? You know, I mean, actually, I know. will you actually end up using it? That's the thing with any kind of insurance. Um, so you just have to evaluate if you're the kind of person who, like if you're a photographer and you like to take pictures outside, I think it's a great idea. If you mm-hmm. spend a lot of time outside with your phone, you do have to make sure that whatever insurance you get will cover the circumstances you're most likely to encounter. That's true. Like Square Trade, for instance, doesn't cover theft or loss, just like damage. So you actually have to send in your damaged phone in order to get a new one. Mm. Um, and I'm pretty sure Apple Care, it's the same deal. Whereas if you go through your um, car or home insurance insurer, they'll likely offer protection for theft or loss. Um, or also sometimes credit cards will, will give insurance to your phone too. So it's worth looking into your options. Oh, absolutely. Um, so my biggest complaint this week is I've been using Apple Music a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently our our feature editor, Connor Carey, just left to go on a road trip. She'll be working mm-hmm. from remotely from different parts of the country. And I thought it would be fun to make her a playlist and get some contributions from other people. But you know what? Apple Music, which is the service that Connor and I both use, doesn't allow collaborative playlists. Like, there's not so really lame. a social element. So, you know, I actually ended up creating a Google Doc for people to put their suggestions and, like, play around with the order of the music and stuff. And that's just so silly. Mm-hmm. And it's really making me reconsider whether maybe I should join Spotify instead. Yeah, with Spotify, that's, like... That's one of the most fun features. I, I went on a road trip with a couple of girlfriends a few weeks ago, and we created a, a collaborative playlist ahead of time. And then the night before, I made it um, an offline. I downloaded it to my phone so that I would have it for the trip, and it all just worked like really well. Yeah, I mean, I you should like, switch. 
I should. I mean, because for music, like, part of the fun of it is the way you discover music is socially, right? Like, yeah, some friend recommends some music or, and Mm -hmm. if you can't share playlists and if you can't work on them together, then you're really missing out on a really important feature and Apple needs to get it together. So you were able to share it, right? But you just I could share it with Connor because she is also uses Apple Music. Mm -hmm. So once I got everyone's feedback and we worked out the order in the Google Doc, then (laughs) I was able to share it with Connor after I, you know, created it in Apple Music. Right. So it's just the collaborative part that they, they need to add that if they want to stay competitive with Spotify. Right. But also I don't really like Apple's curated playlists. Right. I would much rather be able to see playlists that other people create, just not like some sort of fancy schmancy like music person but actual like fellow music lovers right yeah I mean that's been a fun thing with Spotify to see what your friends are listening to the playlist they've put together and usually you'll discover something you like I mean you don't always have music taste in common with your friends but a lot of times you do you know right yeah um it'll be interesting to see if Apple does add anything new to, to Apple Music before the commercial release of iOS 10, because mm. so far it seems like a lot of the changes haven't been fundamental enough to really make it that much better. No, they basically kind of changed the look of things, uh huh, but not functionally, not in a big way. And the iOS 10 version of it is very buggy so far. It is the beta version, but it's the buggiest part of the iOS 10 beta, in my opinion. And it's constantly like crashing or failing to add songs to playlists after it, I've tried to add them and things like that. I just updated to iOS 10 beta 3 last night and I've I've noticed my phone being a little less buggy today. Have Mm. you noticed that at all? It's freezing less and glitching less. Yeah. Um, For apps and gear of the week, we got an email from one of our daily tip subscribers that gave a good tip for app discovery. And that's something I hadn't, we haven't talked about on the show before is like, how do you find cool apps to try out? And this Daily Tip subscriber named John was saying that he relies on appicker.com. That's A-P-P-picker.com. And they will send you a daily email, kind of like our daily tips, telling you what apps are free that week and what apps are on sale. And so I actually just signed up for that today. So thanks, John, for the tip. Uh, That's great. I was curious, uh, Sarah, how you discover new apps. My children put them on my phone. (laughs) Like, really, I don't spend a lot of time looking for apps, actually, unless there's, like, something really specific I'm trying to do with my phone that the Apple native apps can't do or don't do very well, and then I'll go and search those terms in the App Store. Mm -hmm. So, One thing I've noticed in iOS 10 is now when you search in the App Store, there are sponsored, there are ads for, for apps, which is a new a new thing developers can do, I guess, to help their apps be discovered. But so far, I found it to be pretty useful because, like, usually I don't, when I Google something and I see all of the at, all of the sponsored responses at the top, I usually ignore them. But in this case, it's been somewhat helpful. I mean, I also like just going and checking out what Apple is featuring in the App Store. I do that occasionally. And they have, like, an annual awards for the best apps, which I'll check out too. Those are definitely always worth looking at. Yeah, and then for us too, we get a lot of app developers contacting us directly, and I'll I'll definitely check out apps here and there that catch my eye. But um, I'd be really curious to from our listeners to hear how they discover apps. 
Yeah, um, let us know. You can email us at podcast at iphonelife.com, and we'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Uh, I don't have any apps this week to tell about, but I do have gear. Do you, do you have any apps or gear to share? Um, I have a couple uh, gear recommendations. Um, I'm going to confess and say that I don't usually buy lightning cables because we get a lot of free samples, but <laughs> my kids have been going through them like you wouldn't believe. I mean, they just destroy them. Uh, I'm not really a fan at the moment of like investing in any kind of like expensive gear for children because they are forces of <laughs> destruction. But um, it got to the point where the only lightning cable in the house that worked was mine. And at some point my daughter came into my bedroom at like midnight and was like trying to charge her phone. And I was like, this is, this is it. This <laughs> You're is like, enough. get out. So I went and I looked at um, our blogger, Dan Rasmus's article on like the strongest, most rugged cables that there are. We'll link that in our... Yes, we will. And I, uh, I ended up ordering, um, at, in the middle of the night, I ended up ordering two of the um, Titan Steel lightning cables from Fuse Chicken. <laughs> so they're just basically like these... Like, pets can chew on them. They're just, like, the strongest cable out there. And I ordered two of them. And I'll let you know how that goes, but I'm feeling pretty confident that I may have solved my lightning cable problem. I've tried Fuse Chicken before. Their cables are really indestructible. Yeah, so that's that's what I wanted, and I think that's what I got. So I'm pretty happy. And if you are hard on your lightning cable or you have kids or pets, I highly recommend them. Um, the other thing, which I've mentioned before on the podcast, but since this is a back-to-school episode, I wanted to mention again, and that's the jumper slate. Uh, I think you can get it in 5K or 10K, um, which a 10K could recharge like an iPhone like five times. Um, and you have to, it comes, it's it's flat. It's a portable, portable battery that's flat with hmm. um, little holes that you can use in like a three-ring binder. Oh, nice. And it has a built-in, If you, you have to make sure to get the one that's for iPhone, but it has a built-in lightning cable, and so you can, I feel like a lot of kids use iPhones and iPads at school, and uh, so if you your child puts that in their binder, then they can like keep their device charged during the day, which as a parent, I always appreciate it when my kids' phones are charged, because then I can know where they are and call them. And Right. That's really cool just to fit into your binder. That definitely fits in with our uh, back-to-school theme. The the right. gear that I've been enjoying right now, uh, Tech21 sent me an iPad Air 2 case. I'm writing an iPad roundup for our holiday buyer's guide, so I've been trying out a lot of different cases and stands and different accessories that you can use with your iPad. And I really like this one. It's uh, the Tech21 Impact Folio case. And they have one for the iPad Air, also for the iPad Pro, I believe both the 9.7 inch and the 12 inch one. And so it's really, it's like a nice matte. Mine's navy. They also come in black. It looks really nice. Sarah approves. And it has an aluminum rim on it that's magnetic. So it just snaps over and looks almost like a little briefcase or a clutch or something like that. Um, I think it works. It's pretty great for unisex. I feel like it looks pretty... um, pretty sharp and sporty and um, it has three different viewing angles like most folio cases do and definitely is sturdier than some like a lot of folio cases you can't even really place on your lap or else it's all crumpling and yeah you you have to be on a flat surface but right now I have my iPad on my lap in this in this case and it's working great 
Um, the only thing that I got spoiled with, with the clam case, which was what I was using before, is having a third-party keyboard right. attached to it. I personally, like, I just can't type fast on my iPad with the on-screen keyboard. And so if you are like me, you're going to want a keyboard case. And I feel like that is like the number one accessory that you're going to want for your iPad. But if you're using it more for media viewing or you've just mastered the on-screen keyboard, then this case is awesome. It is a bit of an investment. It's $79.95 or $80. Let's just call it what it is. But um, but I, I do really recommend it. We'll also have a link to that. Um, we create a blog post for each episode, as you probably know by now. iPhoneLife.com slash podcast is where you can find all of them. I want to mention one more thing. Um, we talked about this in our last podcast about sort of outdoor gear, but mm-hmm. I just wanted to say we used the Ultimate Ears Boom 2 speaker on our tubing trip, yes. and it had amazing sound. I mean, you know, you're out on a river and sound just kind of dissipates, but it really got some good volume and it sounded really good and it was really easy to use. I know. I love, I feel like Ultimate Ears has the best Bluetooth speakers. They're great. Um, it was almost, we kept on asking David to turn it up because it could go so loud, but he was the one holding it and he's like, but then I can't hear anybody. So (laughs) if anything, anything, the problem was that it's too loud. (laughs) So, um, so yeah, that's, that's a, I'm glad you brought that up. So getting into back to school, it's, we're leading up to the school year now. Most people, some people may already have done their back to school shopping. I don't know. Have your kids, Sarah? No, I always put it off to the last minute because I, I just can't stand thinking about summer ending. I know, it's tragic. But hopefully you haven't done your shopping either because we have some recommendations for you before we speak to our high school English teacher and learn a little bit about how he's using tech in the classroom. We thought this would be a good opportunity to take a look at you know, how people are using iPhones and iPads in class, how teachers are dealing with students using smartphones, because we can see that majorly both being a tool that could be used and, and also a big distraction. A big distra- distraction. Um, so Sarah, I know you had that, well, that one you put in the binder, that was a great recommendation. Were there any other ones that you recommend to people? I think that was the main one, um, except for I really feel like, and I don't have a specific case that I would recommend, although I can link to maybe a roundup of protective cases. Mm-hmm. Um, which, are, which is great for students. You know, in the crowded halls and just if you have a younger kid just running outside, it's really easy to drop an iPhone and damage it. Mm-hmm. And it's a great idea if you're going to invest in getting your child one of these very expensive devices mm-hmm. to get a really good protective case. And I can, I'll can i put in a link to an article. Uh, Shiva Omar, senior gear editor, has written several really great roundups. One case that was mentioned by Becca Ludlam, another contributor of ours, is the OtterBox Resurgence Power Case. And so that's really rugged and also does have a built-in battery to give you know, your kid's phone extra juice during the day. Right. Uh, another accessory that she recommended was the Leaf iBridge mobile memory. And this is a little bit, a little lightning to USB stick. Um, and it's $59.99. We also have uh, the Flick, which is a wireless button you can program to do different things like play music or use it as a shutter release button. So that's sort of a fun thing for your kids to try out. Um, right. Another one, that, and this is one that I think I really need, Easy Care Smartphone Sterilizer. So it's like a little cubby. It looks like a mini tanning bed, really. That's how I would describe it. You put your phone in there and it sterilizes it because there are just so many 
if you're carrying your phone throughout the day, it's just going to be really germy. And if you're a kid, probably even more germy. I feel like I get sick during the school year so often because of the disgusting germs that my children bring home. (laughs) Yeah. So (laughs) that might be a good thing. Another thing, I think this is even more important than a protective case personally, is a screen protector. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've now broken my screen before once, if not twice. I'm trying to remember now. But I feel like it's just something you really should avoid if you can because it costs like $100 to replace or more. more. The whole ordeal really is just unfortunate and a huge pain. So if you can avoid it, it's better just to put a screen protector on. You can find them a lot of times for under $20. And it really doesn't – I mean – I highly recommend glass ones also. Yeah, glass ones. You don't get like bubbles and plastic ones. Just usually there's a a weird – and they tend to just get scratched up really easily. Yeah. Yeah, glass ones. The only problem with that is with some certain, if you use a stylus, certain styluses don't work with mm-hmm. a screen protector. Right, so you'll have to consider. Yeah, so if you have an iPad. And then lastly, Becca recommended the Jawbone Up 2, a fitness bracelet for your kid. And that's just, you know, keeping – if you're trying to help your kids stay on a good routine, get the right balance of fitness, make sure they're sleeping well because the – up to also has sleep tracking hmm. that can just help help make sure you're having like a well-balanced life. That seems like it would be really great for high school students who don't always take sleeping very seriously. I mean, even yeah. if they're like a really, you know, just studious child, they sometimes will stay up till two in the morning doing homework. So it's kind of maybe a good feedback for the kid to see just how much sleep they're not getting. Yeah. And then in terms of backpacks, um, Herschel, I think that's how you say it, has a lot of cool bags. Um, I've noticed Urban Outfitters carries them, and I just see a lot of kids wearing them. I think they're – I have one too, actually. But um, they have ones that have, like, uh, padded sleeves within them specifically for tablets and and, uh, laptops and things like that. So that could be something to check out as well. Yeah, that's really important. Uh, now, these days, I feel like kids are bringing not just their smartphones, but also frequently computers and tablets to school, and so they need something that will protect them as they carry them back and forth. Yeah. And another thing for college students to check out is um, not only uh, can you get cool gear, but if you're looking into buying Apple devices themselves, like if you, you like a MacBook or an iPad, yeah. So if you're going into your freshman year in school, it would be a good time to buy one of those because they because Apple does offer deals for students, and Apple doesn't really have sales that often on their devices. Um, right now, they're offering that you can get a pair of Beats Solo two wireless headphones with the purchase of a Mac for college, and also you can get up to $200 off a lot of their products if you're going into college. Yeah, um, my older daughter is going to college and she looked into that and she decided she didn't care about Beats headphones because they're not actually the best headphones. Sorry, Apple. Um, And she discovered that she could actually get a refurbished MacBook Air from Apple for less. That's really smart. That makes a lot of sense. That's what uh, our blogger Todd Bernard always recommends is checking out those refurbished ones because sometimes they're just basically new ones you know, with like, or they, they usually have a warranty and they've been refurbished, which means they're in good shape. Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely worth checking out as well. You can feel pretty confident buying one of those from Apple. And before we get into our interview, we just wanted to 
let you know that we haven't forgotten about the lifelong learners. Just because you're not in school or college doesn't mean you aren't interested in education. And we had a couple apps to tell you about that can help you. Uh, Linda is one that I'm a huge fan of. And this does require that you have a monthly subscription to use. But if you have a specific topic that you're interested in learning about, for instance, for me, I've looked at, uh, I got a camera and I wanted to learn how to use it. Um, Or if you want to learn like how to be a better manager, if you want to learn, I mean, really, there's a huge range of skills. What I really like about Linda is unlike a lot of other sort of services that purport to like offer courses that are going to teach you things. These courses are actually in-depth and useful. Yeah. They don't just like skim the surface. They're actually useful in-depth courses. And so it's it's $34.99 a month for the subscription, but you can, you know, it's something you might want to do for a few months while you're learning a really valuable skill that will right. make you a more valuable employee or it's just a passion project or something like that. Um, I think it's definitely worth it, worth checking out. And I'm going to plug Duolingo again. Um, I know I've talked about it before, but I really feel like a lot of programs that to teach you a second language really kind of fail. I mean, it's it's really hard to get people to pronounce things correctly and really acquire the vocab and and the understanding of grammatical structures. And I think Duolingo does a really fantastic job, and it's a free app. Um, it was, mm-hmm. It's only going to take you through sort of the basics of language acquisition, but I do feel like you can get a really solid foundation that you can then build on with other resources, and I highly recommend it. And they have such a huge catalog of different languages. What language are you working on? I'm not currently working on anything, but I periodically check in and do French and Spanish. I've tried a few Spanish lessons, but I still think I need to... You do need to be committed. You have to set up, like, what are you going to work on it, like, five or ten minutes every day, and when are you going to do that? Like, there's still some... One thing I love about Duolingo is I feel like, you know, there's always those moments of five or ten minutes where you might just play some game on your phone while you wait. Mm -hmm. And especially if you have earbuds, but you can choose to use the app without the requirement to speak. Oh, I didn't know that. So so if you're in a place where it wouldn't really be appropriate for you to be, like, having sound playing or be speaking (laughs) to your phone. Yeah. um, So you can do it. Um, just in those little moments, and it, it all—it almost is set up like a game. So you could do that instead of playing whatever game you're currently, you know, using on your phone to pass. Clash of Clans, or yeah, whatever it is. Clans. Right. Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, let's talk to our high school teacher about technology in the classroom. Great. We'd like to welcome high school English and theater teacher Kevin Hosbond to the show to talk to us about the role of mobile technology in the classroom. Welcome, Kevin. Welcome, Kevin. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me here today. It's awesome. So could you tell us a little bit about how smartphones and tablets are a part of an average school day for you, for better or for worse? Well, they're definitely part of the school day. Um, <laughs> you will see 95% or more of the students with some sort of device. It's typically smartphones. Um, I'll have a few students in my particular classes that might pull out Uh, some sort of reading device like a Kindle or some other kind of tablet that um, that they can use to read in class and usually they're they're reading I'll check on them every now and then but (laughs) you definitely see tons of smartphones at school and um, you just have to Mm -hmm. learn how to interact with them wisely so would you say that most students have some sort of device whether it's an iPhone or an iPod or tablet definitely yes pretty much 
like I said, I think at least 95% or more of the students have some sort of device, and even the teachers do too. For those 5% that don't then, is that, I, I've been curious about that. Is that, does that make students stand out in a certain way? Like maybe they can't afford to have one or their parents won't let them. Do you see like much conflict there? Um, well, I don't really see much there because the school does have devices. It's not like if the kid doesn't have their own device, they have nothing to use. So hmm. um, for the most part, when you do something in class, you might, like I have laptops in my classroom, but I might say, if you do have your phone and that's going to be easier for you right now, then just grab that. But if you don't, then you can grab the, you know, the laptop and kids just grab whatever's most convenient for them. Hmm. So that's kind of how that works. So I kind of am interested, what is using them wisely? Like, because clearly <laughs> you can't keep them out of the classroom. So how do you sort of channel them for good? Right. Well, you just have to set up expectations from the beginning and then try to hold to those as much as you can throughout the school year. Um, and, you know, I've seen teachers have areas where phones are placed during class. And like I have a particular rule where you can have them, but for educational purposes. So if you like are choosing to get it out to call or text somebody, then obviously like that's not using it wisely for, for our purposes, but mm. I'm definitely not anti anti device in my classroom. Mm. Although some kids might think that it's just, I have rules for them. <laughs> right. I, yeah. you, you can't see Kevin right now. He looks slightly rolling his <laughs> eyes. <laughs> so, um, what, what are some of your rules for technology use? Um, the big one is if you need to use it, ask permission. Unless I've established like, hey, this is what we're working on today and go ahead and get your whatever you're going to use and then get going. And obviously, you know, you have to use good classroom management and monitor the room and um, be physically present and, you know, wander around and kind of check in with kids and see what they're up to. And also, you know, teach them responsible usage. So like I told them to be efficacious, which means, you know, it's mostly efficient, but you know, you how many kids are going to go home and type a paper but also have like Facebook open at the same time. I mean, we all do that mm -hmm. anyway. Mm -hmm. So it's just a matter of, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, it's a matter of, okay, I wrote a little bit. I'm going to take a quick break, like a little reward and then get back to work. That sounds very reasonable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what are some of the ways that you see uh, these devices hindering learning then? Well, the biggest thing, and you'll see this all over the internet as well, is distractions. I actually think I saw something on um, CNN maybe recently about digital distractions. I haven't read it. I just know it's there, but I'm too distracted to read it. <laughs> I'll get to it eventually. But I know that the distraction is the biggest thing because you've got kids that, you know, they're constantly receiving Snapchats and texts mm -hmm. and there's just all sorts of bells and whistles. And, you know, if they're working on something, the phone's typically in the pocket or right next to them on their desk and their their eyes are constantly darting and um, so you do have those kinds of distractions you just have to teach the students how to responsibly use that because in the adult world you'll see the same thing yeah definitely <laughs> I mean all of that yeah. is definitely ringing a bell for me and mm -hmm. things that I struggle with myself um, with productivity <clears throat> I'm kind of curious if you think that students today will be better off than we will in that way or if they are growing up being more bombarded and it'll be a bigger issue for them wow that's a good question <laughs> but just from what Lots you see maybe do you see I them think... like learning how to cope in a healthy way or are you seeing wow this is really hard for them kind of thing i think they're definitely they're they're better off than we were just because of they have so much access to information 
Mm. I was at a flipped classroom session at a conference called Learning Forward um, last winter. And the guy was telling us just really cool information about he started giving tests where the kids could just use Google and do whatever. And he said, what are you going to do when you get out of high school? Anywhere else in the world, when you need something, you go look it up. So what we're trying to focus on teaching them is more of a conceptual thing. So like if like me personally, if I need to know something, of course, I'm going to go look it up on the internet. It's not mm-hmm. something I had to memorize 20 years ago and then right. call to action. So uh, I thought that was really, that's going to be a, big transition for adults in education but I think students like this year I had my semester exam I let them use whatever resource available including Google and you know they could look stuff up on their phones and um, if they didn't get the conceptual knowledge looking something up would still be a little bit of a hindrance without some sort of background information right but um, that brings up a question not all information you find online is necessarily accurate. Oh, yeah. I mean, so are you, does that mean that even more than before, it's really important to learn critical thinking and oh, to evaluate sources? Yes, I was just thinking that in my head when you said that. Yeah, the critical thinking skills is super important. And we have, in education, we have something called 21st century skills. So we want students to be able to communicate and use critical thinking um, probably a lot it's more different than, than what we did as as students you know because we are consumers of media but you know our generation it was magazines and newspapers and tv you could look something up in an encyclopedia but (laughs) right um, that's already been vetted right exactly and now you like you have to know your sources when like who wrote this article sometimes kids find something and they don't realize it was a satirical article but it's on like some sort of like a new york times website Mm -hmm. so you have to teach them to look for that I kind of feel like a lot of the people in my Facebook feed, adults as well, could use that lesson. They totally could, <laughs> especially during the political season. Oh, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. How, do you, um, how does your approach to technology fit in with the school as a whole? Um, do, do other faculty share your your views of technology, or does it? Are, and are you left to decide for yourself, or does the school take an overall approach? Well, I'm definitely not leading the charge with technology, but I've, I've come a long way. And there are some faculty members that are just waving the technology flag and, you know, they're champions. And there are others who um, are kicking and screaming and we're dragging them along and everybody mm. will get there in their own time. It's about letting them take the journey and, and finding it on their own. But I use technology for a lot of different things when it's, you know, when it's appropriate to use. Sometimes Pen and paper can be more efficient if it takes a while to load up a laptop or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, phones can be really quick. We can do a formative assessment on it with kids using phones pretty quickly. And that and that's kind of fun. So I use laptops. I, use, I let kids use their smartphones. And, you know, we have a digital projector that... And also we have a at the high school what's called a 21st century room, which is kind of like the big thing right now. And there are screens and... Um, whiteboard walls that kids can write all over and they Mm. can there's a a pretty good network there and they can interact with each other through computers and through these monitors that are all around the room so I spent about three weeks at the end of the school year in that room this year Um, yeah I have a question Um, I mean we're you teach in rural Iowa and then there are schools in places like Des Moines iPhone Life magazine is located in Iowa where they have some pretty wealthy school districts and Mm -hmm. 
you know, like you've, I've been to their facilities and you've probably maybe even spent more time in them. They just have so many more resources. And I'm, assu- I'm assuming that includes like in terms of the technology the kids have access to. Do you think that this disparity in kind of the funds each school district has available may be leading to some kind of like divide in terms of like how prepared students are in the future? Yeah, that's a good thought. I'm probably a little biased. Only I won't mention the school district, but one time I interviewed at a, another district in, we'll say, in a wealthy part of Iowa, and I asked them about, well, what kind of technology resources would I have in my classroom? And the teacher said, well, there is a there's an an iMac cart or an iBook cart somewhere on our floor. It's in disrepair. I don't know. And I thought, wow, wow. <laughs> you know, like back here in Fairfield, we have tons of devices. You know, our, in our English department, we have two carts of laptops and we have our own um, desktop lab as well. And so we just have so much available. So it's interesting, you know, Fairfield, maybe with the budget as far as technology, it might be a little bit different on how that's spread throughout, throughout the districts in the state. Do you think it's just that Fairfield is unique? I mean, it has a kind of entrepreneurial culture and... I think that's definitely part of it and probably... Um, the leadership as well. Mm. Um, John Grunwald is our current technology director, and he's just done a, done great work trying to get resources into the hands of students and teachers. So we have we have a ton of technology available, and plus, you know, we have we have Wi-Fi in the whole district, and you know, we have a super fast internet connection. So, but again, that's because we have you know internet those, service providers exactly. that are unusual for a rural state. Yeah, so we are definitely kind of a diamond in the rough, you could say. So is technology then, or technology uh, part of faculty development in terms of how we're, like in the next year, you'll try to, you know, incorporate technology use? Oh, definitely. We uh, actually, this past year, we started looking at going to a one-to-one approach. And some of the teachers, I was included, and some administrators over the summer um, had some Apple training and some guys from Apple came down and uh, we all got, I don't know what which device it was, I want to say it was um, the Air maybe? The MacBook Air or the iPad? I think it Air. was the MacBook Air. Okay. Yeah. It's like a... Um, One of the thinner laptops. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So we got to play with those and we all had iPads as well and so we had a ton of training and we're cool. thinking about going to a one-to-one system for middle school through high school. So that helps a lot and we use computers. All the faculty members have their own um, iBook laptop that they can use at home and at school, and we, we just have plenty of resources available to us. So what do you think about, I've been reading about the possibility that instead of being issued all these textbooks and lugging them around in their 50-pound backpack, that schools are considering going to systems where basically all the books are on an iPad that each student is issued. Right. And I thought that was really exciting, and then my daughter, who just graduated from high school, um, and full disclosure, as a former student of Kevin's, um, <laughs> said that she would miss just the ease of like flipping back and forth in the book, and just even just I mean she's a bit of a like book lover, but you know just even just the feel of the book and the smell of the book. And... It's it's true, and I've I've read an article about that that there's something about actually holding the paper and flipping the paper, you know, has something to do with with the way that you read and the way you receive information. Um, but I have had students also who said, hey, I found your textbook online. Can I just put it on my tablet and leave the book here? And I said, sure, go for it. 
and you know mm-hmm. the kid paid 10 bucks and got got the book downloaded but book companies have definitely made that transition as well and maybe not fully but they're definitely um, offering tons of online resources in fact I found our entire textbook um, in mp3 format as well so I'll provide that to students and they can listen to it on their devices so they don't have to if they're on the bus going to like a sports or music thing then they don't want to lug the textbook they just I mean, bring their phone it just in terms of accessibility that's so great mm-hmm. I know that you know a former classmate of mine who had uh, dyslexia really struggled with reading textbooks and so just being able to listen to it right. would be such and, you a, know, yeah. an advantage. Now they offer, um, on browsers, you can switch the text so that it's got kind of like a gradient of reds and blues and purples and different colors that um, can help ease that as well. That's really great. Yeah, it really strikes me as like you still can read from a book if you'd like to, but now you have di- so many different options. Right. And I would imagine that the digital versions of books would be less expensive. I, I think so. It's becoming, you know, as technology improves and increases in number, we're going to have so many more things available. Yeah. So like and a textbook might cost $60 in paper form. Right, right. And then, you know, they use it for a long time, so it might be out of date, whereas ebooks they can just be updated. Exactly. Yeah. And interactive. You, they can click mm-hmm. on videos and pictures and stuff. So uh, for the upcoming school year, do you have any gear that you would recommend students invest in? Hmm. Wow. (laughs) Oh, gosh, I don't even know. I'm stumped. (laughs) Well, most, I would say, uh, you know, your typical school supplies, but as far as technology goes, maybe some sort of uh, cloud storage or even some sort of, like, you know, hard drive storage and make sure they have flash drives because, like, our... uh, as we're transitioning at the high school, the machines we were looking at, I said, where's the disk drive? I can't put a DVD right. in here anymore. And I was really kind of freaked out by that. But, you know, everything else, I have a flash drive with like 100 million gig on it. So that's that's the direction we're going. And kids, you know, if they don't have cloud storage, they can just, you know, use the, the flash drives and yeah. go back and forth from different I mean, areas. I would have to, I've tried, I've gotten my kids flash drives before and they're like, what is this and why would I use it? I just use Google Docs. Right. Oh yeah. I mean, we're a Google school. We use tons of that stuff. So I think some sort of storage device or if they don't have cloud storage through school, they get free, you know, free cloud storage. But if they want their own personal things, they might just make sure they have a device that um, can use the internet quickly because that's really important. Mm-hmm. They get so impatient. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what dial-up was. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and one thing we were curious about is whether you think teachers should be able to confiscate phones if there is any misbehavior, people not following rules. That's a good question. And it goes back to so many other things, like you might confiscate a lighter or, a, you know, like or this kid's turning their pencil or pen into some sort of like shooting device then yeah (laughs) it's it's the same thing those are distractions and you know I'll confiscate phones with warnings if the student has you know violated what we're what we're doing in class and they still have Mm -hmm. their laptops available um, and it's not like I take it and keep it forever they just typically they can have it after the end of the class or if they're pretty serious violators and they're just distracted and playing like motorcycle driving games and things and you know, it'll be in the office at the end of the day. You're definitely, you don't access the device. Right. You don't want to look, look into it. You know, most of the kids are going to like grab the battery or 
um, they'll turn it off right away or lock you out or I'll tell them turn your phone off so hmm. then they'll know that I'm not gonna get into it right because I feel like that's the big issue is phones aren't just like a making phone call device they're pretty much your entire life everything's on there device. now yeah mm-hmm. so it's interesting I would say from talking to you that it seems like you overall have a positive view of technology maybe could you leave us with some parting thoughts on how you think that technology can help kids learn? Definitely. Well, one thing a lot of schools are going into learning management systems. So your entire curriculum can be found online with a flipped classroom. You can upload videos and you can record yourself teaching and make some interactive things that kids can watch at home and then come to school. And based on on those bits of, of learning they've done, take it further in the classroom with the teacher as well. At the high school, the choir teacher actually has been making some apps and then he uses those to create calendars and things for the kids. So there are teachers, I'm not there yet myself, but there are teachers who actually are are getting in and using apps and creating apps that they send out to kids and that's great for learning. Um, But the whole idea with the, the flipped classroom is students are accessing the, the learning outside of the classroom, whether it's through video or some other interactive um, mm-hmm. type of thing. And then they can come to class having already watched or done whatever, and then you move forward from there in the classroom. So it kind of puts the classroom, flips it around. It's not within the walls anymore. But I really like that idea because it seems mm-hmm. like you would really solidify the learning to kind of acquire the knowledge, but then go and really discuss it and understand it in more depth. Right. And then they can access it at any point too. You know, like, oh, I missed that that uh, lesson on quantum physics that day. So I'm just going to hang out at home and watch the, this video and, and work from take there. Take responsibility for their learning. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's very cool. We really appreciate you being here with us today. Uh, it was great having you. Yeah, Kevin Hosbond, English teacher and theater teacher. Thank you for letting me be here. It was great. Thanks, Kevin. And that concludes episode 38 of the iPhone Life podcast. Don't forget to sign up for daily tips at iphonelife.com slash daily tips. And if you enjoy listening to us, please share with your friends and rate our show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, everyone.